um, you know, for, for which I get all sorts of, you know, comments about my teaching sometimes. Well, it's like drinking water from a fire hose. Well, okay, but I, I think also that Paul must have taught that way because I'm only taking the part of chapter 3, and we're not even doing the whole book. And yes, I admit it is chock-a-block with stuff here. Uh, and I have a particular focus in looking at this, and while there is so much backstory behind some of what we will see, won't have time to go into all of that, but we're going to ask God to, you know, if you will pray for God to speak to you and, and pray for me as, as I preach, and I think God will craft a word for you today. You know, one thing I've noticed is a lot of people have a problem with the church, and that's true both of saved and lost. So a lot of pe lost people have a problem with the church, and they come to the exact same conclusion as some of the same saved people. They say, look, you know what, we love Jesus. Uh, we don't, just don't love the church. And spirituality is real for us, but the church is irrelevant to us. And then some saved people would say that their spirituality is best fulfilled outside of a local church. So they get involved in some parachurch ministry or movements or organization and don't really do anything with the church. And, you know, it's kind of like they've been there, done that, don't need it. And so one thing that people who believe in God and don't believe in God seem to agree on. But, you know, if you are in a biblical fellowship, you are now tied to other believers and joined with other people as if you are the same body. And so this is my thesis for today's study. I could describe the Holy Spirit's involvement with humanity in every dispensation. We could lay it out like that. We do that in other classes and courses, our Living Faith Bible Institute and other places. But today, the main emphasis is the Holy Spirit is only involved for his church. Now, the Father has a name, God, and the Son has a name, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit doesn't even get a name, only an adjective. Now, I praise the Lord for that because at least that adjective is shareable, and he can share that adjective wholly with me because I know I don't bring any holiness to this game, but the Holy Spirit is given because he owns that. And he gives that to us. And he exists in this time for the glorification of Jesus through his body, this church, which is why he will give it to us. So the real miracle that Jesus brings us by his ascension to back to heaven is to connect us to the Holy Spirit, which is the only safe and effective way for us to be connected to each other. And... and I can't worship God without the Holy Spirit, and I can't worship him through the Spirit unless I am part of Christ's body, the church. Now look at 1 Corinthians 14 on your handout. So we've got a place where we give you some of the cross-references we're going to look at with this passage. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12 says, Even so ye... For as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, which, which are given by the Holy Spirit, by the way, I mean, you're zealous to have all these spiritual gifts, well, then seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. You're not excelling just by getting the gift. You're only excelling when you've got the gift and you use it. 
So whatever you've experienced of the church or by the church or because of the church, that is the past of the church. So here's my first point for study. Whether a Christian loves the church, is suspicious of the church, has been wounded by the church, or whatever, if you will just yield to the Holy Spirit, he will help you build up what the church should have been all along. So if you were hurt by a church, the church that hurt you, that's the past of the church. Come here, get involved, and help us make the church what it should have been in every age of Christianity. So it doesn't matter your past with any particular church or a succession of churches. I can show you the church's future based on the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit right now. Ephesians 3 is the Holy Spirit dispensationally connected and concerned as to the building up of the body that Jesus was willing to die for. So look at verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Showing the wisdom of God by the church is a mystery to be made known obviously to the church itself, but it is for all men to see with the intention that it will even be known by the principalities and the powers in all three heavens. Now, if you know, you know, and I don't have time to explain all the backstory of that. You need to get in our discipleship too. Start now, just finish 30 weeks later. Uh, or, or take a LFBI course, a Bible Institute class. But this is for all men to see to the intention it will even be known by the principalities and powers in all three heavens. So the creation and the formation of the church as a third spiritual race is demonstrated to the gentry of heaven because this divine body is going to spell judgment on the fallen sons of God. So if you know, you know. And if you don't know, then I don't have time. To, that's not my topic today. It's not, these, it's not angelology and demonology. It's the Holy Spirit. But what divine agenda does this exactly further, I wonder? Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Because we become integrated into the agenda, we are integral to the purpose of furthering what God's want to do. And so therefore we have boldness and we have access with confidence. You know, sometimes what I've discovered is that people overlook God's language. They, they overlook the plain language of the King James Bible. Now, we know they do that. They overlook God's plain language with regard to creation or the language of the stars. But God is in a conversation with the lost, with the church, and with the hosts of heaven, fallen and unfallen. And this is our second point for study, because people do not listen to Psalm 119. I mean, Psalm 119 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. 
Well, we don't play it, pay attention to that today because we've got cell phones and that other stuff. We don't, you know, there's too much light pollution. We don't pay attention to Psalm 119. Therefore, the church becomes the language of God to explain his wisdom to ourselves, to the lost, and to the supernatural. So according to Ephesians 3.10, God is speaking to eternity through the church. And the point to be made is that it is for the propagation of this manifold wisdom, multifaceted wisdom on every side. No matter which way you look, wisdom is coming at you. And it's for the propagation of that that the church gets the Holy Spirit. So Paul also prays for us in verse 16, that the Father would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So God is speaking to eternity using the words of the Bible, but the mouthpiece for what he is saying is a spirit-empowered church. Now, can you imagine any heavenly being as, as God reveals this to Paul and Paul is unfolding this mystery for all? Can you imagine any heavenly being looking back at God and saying, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, God, I'm, I'm watching them and then I'm listening to what you're saying about them and really, I mean, really, you think you're going to be able to do that? I mean, your glory I see and, and Jesus I know, but how can that group congregated and assembling and forming together as a body, how can they be part of this trinity? And it's true, the idea is completely absurd unless you recognize that it is not just the church, it is the spirit and the church. So together we bring expression to God's wisdom. And when you flip that script, it means that by yourself, apart from spirit filling or apart from church fellowship, you do not have and you cannot express the wisdom of God. But now, in fellowship and in fullness, even as broken as we are, even as frail as we are, even as dysfunctional as we are in some places, we become the miracle to humanity. People listen to us because it's the Spirit and the church. And God uses us to explain to eternity, hey, this is what I had in mind all along and forever. I just hadn't told you yet. I don't show all my cards at once. I hold some, all my mysteries, I hold close to my vest until I want to reveal them. But here, watch, look, here are the new sons of God. And this is what humans can look like in Christ and here is how I am glorified by their function as Christ's body. So the wisdom of God cannot be understood if the church is not composed of members who are filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and minding the Spirit. Members who forgive each other because they've been forgiven. Members who love each other because they are loved by Jesus, the one who loved them and gave his life for them. People are trying to make sense of life and, and they're given meaningless, superficial cliches. And sometimes they're given entire books comprised of meaningless, superficial cliches. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever studied 
counseling like, like therapy, professional therapy very much, or uh, you know, what, what, they, what they say in those things, but it's, you know, you sit there and you listen to therapists and you're like, uh, okay, what did you just say? I mean, they, I mean, it's words, but you must have a context and a secret meaning that only you know. It, I mean, it's just, it's not plain to me. It's not simple like my King James Bible. I, I just can't understand it. So they're given standardized psychological tests as answers for deep pain. But there are very practical aspects of the doctrine of the Spirit in the church because now, verse 12, now in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, every modern translation says, you live by your faith in the Son of God and not by his faith. And they say that even though that goes contrary to what the Greek actually states, which is what the King James translates. So all modern translators think you can't handle the truth because they can't understand the truth, apparently. So although I really don't spend much time with conspiracies, I was wondering if any of those modern translations do the same thing right here. Are modern Bible translations and translators in a conspiracy against translating the truth because they don't understand it? And you know, I discovered that the English Standard Version says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And the NIV says, in him and through faith in him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. The New King James, which they say is translated from Texas Receptus, which one, I don't know, they don't tell you that, says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I'm towing the party line. So far, just towing the party line. Modern English version, also claiming to be from the TR, says, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Oh, no, baby Baba. No way, Jose, imposible. My boldness and confidence is because of his faith. I mean, my faith is often unfaithful. His faith never is. So I catch faithful faith from his faith. And it's not even my faith in him. It is by the faith of him. And after I understand that, then I love these words, boldness and confidence, because my access to his spirit and his powerful expression is not subject to my frailties and my faults and my failures. I mean, I come to God because of Christ's faith, because Christ had the faith to do the finished work. I have access to the spirit by Christ's faith, not because of anything I bring, that makes me worth it. But the fact that I can come to God based on Christ's faith, well then, that overrules my fear. Now that's, I don't know what that means to you. I just say that's important to me because I have to say as your pastor, I gotta echo the words of senior FBI agent Tobias Fornell in NCIS season four, episode two. The way I figure it, anyone who doesn't want to quit this job isn't doing it right. And that's all my faith's got. I'm just being honest with you. That is all my faith's got because I feel like I ought to quit every Monday. 
But my faith is not in me, and my faith is not in my faith, and my faith's not in you, and my faith's not in comparison to you. It is not even my own faith. It's not even my faith in Christ. It is my faith in his faith overruling my fear. So if you don't think that this moment and this movement and issues of biblical authority are bigger than you, then you're way too big. We step into boldness and confidence by Jesus' faith. So I love coming together because Christ's faithfulness is seen in our assembling and in our fellowship. And, and, and you're no more broken than I am. And you haven't had any more struggles or pain than anyone else who ever came to God by the faith of Jesus. And there's as much rebel in me, I assure you, than has ever been in you. But part of Jesus' faithfulness was to take the third member of the Godhead and distribute him equally among every member of his body. So the Holy Spirit is equally and eternally distributed to each person who's born again. And we assemble as a church so that maybe you can see you have the same Holy Spirit that I do, and whatever good resides here, God can be that to you. Verse 13, wherefore I declare that ye faint not. I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, do you think I'm twisted a little bit if I say that I'm glad to see that the church 2,000 years ago was in danger of fainting? I mean, somehow this is kind of a left-handed encouragement to me. And the James gang helps us out here because they also translate that word faint as be weary. People who knew Jesus were getting worn out and losing heart in participating in what God was doing. That was first century. I think we've come full circle, 21st century. So Paul states in verse 14, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, if you know, you know, but I don't have to get time to get into the family of God and the different, you know, what, what constitutes it and so forth. But, verse 16, that he would grant you. Here's what Paul bows his knees and prays for. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Huh, that's why we want to glorify God. That's why we want to see his glory. That's why... Even Paul's tribulations are glory for us because they're riches. They're riches to be had. Part of those riches is for us to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And while there is so much of importance there in those verses about the spirit and the church, I want to cut across the field at that semicolon. So just continue with me, verse 17, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. What a ripoff. I mean, I looked at that and I thought, we can't know fullness and we can't be filled unless we love each other. What kind of bait and switch is that? And you were talking about glory you were talking about God, and you were talking about the Holy Spirit, and now you're going to hang this on it as a condition. Matthew chapter 22, look at this on your handout. Matthew 22, verse 36. The scribe came to Jesus, said, Master, which is the great, the great commandment in the law? 
Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Then he said, This is the first. Oh, wait, couldn't you just stop there? I mean, Jesus, can you not count? I want just the great commandment. That's all I want. I mean, great teacher, terrible at math. Which is the great commandment? Both? Well, both what? Verse 39, and the second is like unto it, that thou thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because we cannot be filled and we cannot know the fullness to love God without this other vertical, relational connection to each other, which ought to come more or less in ministry together. So verse 16 says that your inner man is strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit so that, verse 17, Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, is then transferred into your heart so that ye, verse 18, may be able. And I think a lot of the problem of the church in evangelicaldom and Baptisthood is that we've been looking in the wrong source for our abilities. And the only enabler who grants us sufficient strength is the Holy Spirit. So here is why you are able. First, the Holy Spirit is our means of power, including the power to love. Second, the Holy Spirit is our means of holiness, including us as the church. So in love, we have to be both rooted, that goes down, and grounded because then you can go up. And it's not hard for us You know, it shouldn't be hard for us to believe the simple words of a King James Bible that while power does flow through the socket of the Holy Spirit, it only comes with a ground wire of love. But you know, it's it's so hard to believe that sometimes we keep looking for other sources of power, like the Bible's not sufficient. And that is a failure of faith. Because this divine ability is designed to flow, verse 18, as you are made to comprehend with all saints. And stop right there because we are not saints because we're perfect. We are saints because of our participation together in this ministry which includes our involvement in the mission, which embraces our activity in ministry, which encompasses a cosmic dimension, which therefore requires a spiritual covering. So when Paul calls you saint, he is saying you are covered by the Holy Spirit because Jesus says he is your comforter. Now, why does mama put on you when you are sick? To make you feel better, she pulls up over you her comforter. They make the weighted blankets today, and they are a comforter. And so, okay, we got to have a spiritual covering. And I don't have to be all that. I just have to have all that. And I'm not, I am not called holy because that adjective belongs to me. No, it belongs to him. It is transferred to me as I operate for him so that, verse 18, I can comprehend with all saints. And this comprehension comes in concert with the people who make up Christ's body. So why does he say 
this can only be comprehended with all saints. I think it's because he knows us. And he knows, Paul knows he's working his way to such an amazing promise. And yet he knows that we will hear it and we will want to make it individualistic. So Paul knows that we will want to say, well, I can receive the benefit of what you are praying for apart from the Holy Spirit and the church. Because we think the Bible is all about me when actually it's all about we. I mean, the common misconception, we think it is about my salvation when actually it is about our kingdom. So much so that there are things you cannot comprehend by your study alone. Your study has to be tied to service and to fulfilling this sacred calling. And that is only done as a member of Christ's body. I mean, what Paul is saying here, I mean, just stop and think about it for a second, because we have a tendency to take the word church and universalize it and, uh, and, and to take it and theoreticalize it. And, and sometimes that word is used in the sense of an ideal church that they're aiming for. But really, Paul could have said the church and the churches, local visible expressions of the body of Christ, because at that moment, no parachurch organizations existed. There weren't any parachurch. I mean, that's all he's talking about is congregations like ours. And you cannot have the benefit unless you are filled and functioning there because this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit in the church. So what is going deeper? What does it mean to go deeper? It means going together. It is moving as a body, not just as a believer. Paul says, I am praying that you will be strengthened with might by his Spirit, but while he is the power, you need a ground wire in love. And he gives that to the saints in the church because there is one thing that you have to apprehend and perceive and there is one more thing that you have to be aware of and feel and are sure that you understand in a connected comprehension. First, look at verse 18. First, comprehend in concert with all the other saints what is the breadth and length, and depth, and height. Okay, so here is what I need you to know. First, you must comprehend the cosmic dimension of your calling, of being called out, and of our being called together. So he, he's describing the dimensions of the universe. And actually, it's 4D, not 3D. I mean, actually, there are four dimensions here because it encompasses not just the physical but the spiritual. And we are only saints because we are set apart for God's use to do this. So Paul lived his entire life with a cosmic orientation and he is desperately trying to impart and even implant that in you today. Comprehend and apprehend one thing. Then, verse 19, feel a second thing, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Now, does that sound like a paradox to you? 
But second, you must completely understand the love of Christ in spite of the fact that it excels knowledge. And that's simply a James Gang synonym for the word passeth. So that Greek word passeth is translated other places by the James Gang as excelling. Okay, so, it's, so this is a knowledge that excels what we commonly just call information. And you know, the world is messed up, but the solution has to emanate from us. So the world says they don't believe in God, but they believe in love. Oh, really? Name just one negative thing, one evil, hurtful thing that ever happened to you that you can prove that God was the one who did it. But then I want you to list for me all the people that you have loved and who have loved you and yet have wounded your soul with pain. I mean, most music artists can't even find love, and yet they're writing about love. And they're singing about love, and they get awards and, you know, statues and money for love. And would Taylor Swift have anything to sing about if she did not hate somebody she used to love? I'm just saying. Or John Mayer. Or, or that Arabic poet, Sheikh Spear. I mean, something keeps us hoping against hope that what hurt us was not love, so we keep on looking for it. But you cannot just superficially touch love. Verse 17 says, you got to set down roots which dig deep over time and then lift you higher. you got to be rooted and grounded. you got to lay a settled foundation in love, which is King James synonyms for that word grounded. A foundation is something you build on. So the promise that you can comprehend the cosmic dimension of your life and know the surpassing love of Christ, a love which cannot be experienced with mere words, is only made, that promise is only made in the context of the Spirit and our church. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with faith, hope, and love. And I've been doing counseling for you know, a fair amount of time. I mean, I've done a lot of counseling sessions. And outside of things that are organic or biological and things maybe that are a result of substance abuse at the time, you know, pretty much every answer, pretty much the cure for everything is found in an application of faith, hope, and love. So this is one measure of this church as the body of Christ. And it even brings us the completion of God's intended purpose for eternity, which is so complete that it finally brings a period in verse 19. I mean, Paul has been writing. I don't know if you notice this about the book of Ephesians, but Paul writes the book of Ephesians as if periods were made in China and stalled on a container ship outside the port of L.A. But finally, verse 19, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, full stop, which is the only premise that will enable God to fulfill, verse 20, the promise. God wants you to experience and express his own fullness, as much of a mystery as that is. I mean, I can't explain it. All I can do is believe it and, and tell you about it. And these two things are the only way you can be filled that full. What two things? Comprehending the cosmic dimension that, that God gives you in order to complete the mission and then understanding the love that Christ brings you 
to give you the motivation. So this is our third point for study. Fullness comes when you let the Holy Spirit make the about me the about we. Because the fullness here of Ephesians 3.19 is talking about the church and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit does not bring halfness, he brings fullness. Hello, somebody. So God's intention for this church is to express God's wisdom and do it in all three dimensions, the lost, the saved, and the supernatural. And in this dispensation, God is recording the history of us with him. That is what life is all about. That is what life is all about. Because in this dispensation, the fullness of God is expressed when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and functioning together. So keep a finger here, but go to chapter 5. Go a couple of chapters to the right, Ephesians 5, because it's kind of like baptism versus filling, because baptism of the Spirit and filling of the Spirit, they're completely opposites, baptism and filling, and yet they're inextricably connected, because even when Paul talks about you being baptized in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he also says you have been made to drink. Hmm. So I am baptized in the Spirit and immersed around the outside of my soul and spirit, between my flesh and my soul. Okay, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, I don't have time to explain it, but Colossians chapter 2 talks about that spiritual circumcision right now. I'm going to move on because I am commanded not only to be baptized in the spirit and immersed in him, but I'm commanded secondly to take a drink and allow the Holy Spirit to fill me on the inside of my spirit with the one I was baptized by when I got saved. So baptism in the spirit, an initial crisis, the moment you get saved, filling of the spirit, a process. Okay, wait, because this is simply King James Bible doctrine for this dispensation. Verse 18, Ephesians 5, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So here's our fourth point for study. Getting drunk sends you to extremes. Hello, somebody. But being filled with the Spirit brings you balance. And I am filled with the Spirit so that together we can display everything that God is full of. And by the Spirit, you can experience and you can expose the fullness of God himself. Because Christ's presence in us by the Holy Spirit becomes the presence by which we are all connected together. And you know, individually, any given one of us, as good as we may be, can be explained away. We know that's just Alan. You know, that's just Brandon. That's just somebody, okay, I can explain that away. But you know what? One sheep cannot compare to a flock. And, 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 and one, one, uh, uh, one fish cannot compare to a school. And one firefly cannot compare to the ocean of light of a swarm coming at you. Because together we become glorious. We become undeniable and we become irresistible. And together we become the key to God's purpose for eternity. Watch, verse 20, back in Ephesians 3. Let me just wrap it up. 
the end of this chapter, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. God's original purpose was from eternity to eternity. And the mystery is how he was always about glorifying himself by his son Jesus through Christ's body, this church. That body is not Jew or Gentile. It's a new creature. It is a new life form. And that manifestation is the way that God will be seen in the future as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sons of God. Which is why, as the bride of Christ, we are depicted as the new Jerusalem. Now, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, I don't have time to go there. But here's, here's what you must do with us. First, together, we express God's wisdom. Second, together, we experience God's fullness. And third, it is together that we explain God's plan. I mean, just try to apply verse 20 by misreading it with the me instead of the we. Because it does not say, it does not promise that God will do above all I ask or think according to the power that worketh in me. And yet that is the way that you try to live it contrary to King James Bible doctrine. No, there's got to be a we ask. That's why we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. There has to be a we think. You know, which is why that pastors are going to get away, not this week, but next week on a pastor's retreat so we can think about the budget and the calendar. Because here's our fifth point for study. The Holy Spirit's glorifying of Christ comes through the church, which means that spirit-filling, spirit-fruiting, and spirit-gifting are given, and they are done to profit with all, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So to profit with and to profit all as it profits you at the same time. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody ask you, who would you like to meet in history? If you could meet anybody in history and uh, have lunch with them, who would it be outside of Jesus? Is every Christian supposed to answer Jesus? Well, I'd like to have lunch with Charles Spurgeon and talk about preaching. I mean, just let me into your process. And I'd love to take to dinner one or all of the authorized version translators just to talk about manuscript evidence. I mean, what was your sense of what God was doing in the English language at that time? And I'd like to have a moment under the tree with Thomas Cranmer, with Polycarp, and talk about martyrdom. I mean, I'd like to just say to Cranmer, look, I mean, I know it was so hard, and you faltered, and you recanted for a moment. But what gave you the courage to run from the church court in the church house, run all the way outside to the burning stake, and put your hand in the fire first? What if your greatest dream, above what you could ask or think, 
was supposed to be about what we could do together through the Holy Spirit. Because the church and the Spirit are writing the declaration of God. And that is a declaration of wisdom that is to be seen by the saved, certainly to the lost, and by all supernatural beings. So God gave Christ to be the head over this body, his church, in order to fill all things from planet Earth to the very third heaven throne of God and to fill it with redeemed and glorified people. And if it's just you and God, I mean, if that's all it is, is you and God, you're dotting the I and you're not writing the letter. I mean, I mean, you're putting the period, but you're not writing the sentence. I mean, you've put a question mark and nobody knows what you're trying to answer. I am overwhelmed by the wonder of people when, when they look at us and they say, how can you have such a diverse congregation in these times? Well, I could never have thought to even ask for what we have prior to 2012. But if we want it to amount to anything at all going forward, then we've got to be supernatural, we've got to be unexplainable, and we've got to be in love with each other. Whatever else we are, we've got to be that. Because the future of the Spirit in the church is that we are going to look like Jesus. I mean, that's our future. So let's let our church be known right now for being evangelistic, being compassionate, being filled with the Spirit, and displaying all the fullness of God. We don't need to separate from dysfunction. We need to overwhelm it with biblical function. We need to be like an army of fireflies, bringing light to the night, bringing hope as well as beauty. I want people to be compelled by us to re-examine the party line about their Bible. I want us to become a church that other people want to step into for all the right reasons. I want us to be the ones that set a legacy for future generations to come in favor of everything that the Spirit does through the church. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I just want you to know, because I know we've had so many visitors over the last, I don't know, two or three months, and every week there's some more, and I, you know, I can't believe how many people we had baptized last Sunday and, and that we've had even this year. And I just want you to know, you don't have to agree with us to come and learn from us. Now, you kind of got to agree with us, because we do think that we are following the Bible here. So you kind of have to agree with us to teach with us. Well, you don't have to agree with us to come learn with us. You don't have to believe in order to belong in the sense of us loving you. Man, I just want you to know life. I want you to know you matter to God. I want you to know there is a God who sees you and loves you. So much so that he sent his son to give himself for your sins on the cross because he loved you. Go ahead and stand and bump elbows with your neighbor if you got somebody next to you. Let's just touch and agree as we get, get ready to pray. You know, if you're here and you're not yet saved, you're not yet a Christian, you've never yet been born again, I think you can see today 
what the difference is between really being a Christian as the Bible defines it and all the other religious mess that is out of there, the confusing mess of religions and denominations. You can set all that aside. Put Jesus at the front. Put Jesus at the center. Just give your life to him. He did it all. You don't have to do anything but trust in him. Just trust his finished work on the cross for you. I mean, you can pray right now, just every head bowed, every eye closed. You can just pray and say, God, save me for Jesus' sake. I see it today. I now understand. I'm not clear on all of it. I mean, there are a lot of things I don't know about it. I've got so many questions. So, Lord, I know that this is not the end of the conversation. There are a lot more things you want to tell me. And you want to tell me through preaching and and the Word of God. You want to tell me through discipleship. But, Lord, I thank you that I see in this place and with these people a people that I can study the Word of God with together. A people I can study the Word of God with and come to know the filling of the Holy Spirit so that I can begin displaying the fullness of God. And God, because that is your purpose for eternity, I'm going to set everything else aside right now. I mean, what what other healing do I need? What does it matter about the past, any place? Or whatever I may have been through, given what you've done for me and what you are calling me to right now, So, Jesus, today I give you my life. You know, the beautiful thing is when one person finds grace and when one person finds forgiveness and when one person gets healing and hope, then other people are drawn to it and that changes everything. So if you prayed like that today, come up at the end of the, after we get done singing or even while we're singing, come up and let us know. I want to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. Next Sunday, we have missionary pastor Gary Hale with us up from the Dominican. I'm so looking forward to that. He'll be with us even this week for a pastor's luncheon that that we helped do. Father, I just thank you today for your love, for your mercy, and I thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the Word of God that tells us these things. I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that I can look to the Scriptures and know I have something inspired of God given to me as as authoritative truth. And Lord, when I'm confused, I can't rely on anything else. I can rely on this. When so much is happening unseen, it doesn't matter. I've got what I see in the Word of God and the faith that it calls me to, which is really the faith of Christ and what He did for me. I can trust in that. So Lord, be with us. Lord, increase us with men like a flock, as as the book of Psalms says. Lord, let us expand our coast and help us become what we have never been before as a result of studying the church and the Holy Spirit. We ask it today, Lord, because we know we're not worthy, but Jesus is. So we just claim his merit and his worthiness by faith. And ask it today in his precious and powerful name. Amen.